Hey everyone, this is Bryce. Thank you so much for hopping on this podcast. Our heart is truly that these messages would sharpen you in your love for Jesus and your desire to make him known in the earth. This message specifically is about living for eternity, gleaning from some of the teachings of Jesus to his disciples in Luke 12, when he tells them to be aware of hypocrisy, fear of man, and a love of possessions in order that we might be a people who are aligned, carry a fear of the Lord, and are ready for his return and eternity spent with him. Hope you guys enjoy this message. Who feels their heart just like waking up in this place tonight? Come on, guys. So good. I think, um, I know the Lord wants to continue to do that in us. And man, we gotta, as people, we have to fight against sleepiness. We have to fight against coasting and just kind of going through. And man, we, we need constantly the Holy Spirit to awaken us to the things of Jesus, to the things of God, and I believe he's doing that in this room. I think he wants to continue to do that tonight. Um, So just before we jump in, I just wanted to say, I really believe that he has an encounter for us tonight. Um, I think that he wants us to walk out of here um, just with a greater grasp on who he is and just revelation of him and um, what we're headed for in eternity with him. Um, for those of us that have been born again and belong to him and are his sons and daughters. And I just think he wants to revive us a little bit tonight um, with, with where we're going and with really how good um, the promises are that he's made to us in belonging to him. And tonight I'm diving, we're going we're gonna to be planting in Luke chapter 12 and just really going through like the first 30 or 40 verses of that chapter and there's some, I'll be honest, there's some um, tougher passages in Luke chapter 12. I don't think that these passages are probably on the top 10 most preached about um, topics and, and uh, passages. Um, but I think when we find difficult things in Scripture, um, I think that there's something for us if we would really lean in and press in and really try to understand and seek the Lord about what he's saying um, in these types of passages. And so I think there's something for us if we would just lean in tonight. I just want to say I might be going a little bit longer tonight. Um, If that is okay, I I really, I just was sitting with the Lord and trying to figure out what to go into and what not to go into, but I really felt like he was saying just go for all of it. Just go for everything that he was speaking, everything he was saying. So Let's just lean in, and I think if we internalize this, the things that he has for us today, um, just that our lives are going to look different, um, our hearts are going to um, just be, again, awakened to him in a fresh way, and our, our priorities and our values and the things that we're going after are going to shift. So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your presence, and God, I, I pray that we would continue um, just in a a spirit of worship, Lord. Um, God, we've come before you humbly. Jesus, we, we want to know you more, God. We're hungry, we're desperate to see your face, Lord. Um, God, to grab more uh, of who you are, Jesus, and to walk away with fresh bread, God. Fresh revelation from you and from your word. Jesus, we we just honor your word in this place, Lord. We honor the words that you've said and the truth that's behind them, Lord, and the life that comes um, in in abiding in your words, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd reveal yourself. I just pray that you would reveal Jesus to us tonight in this room. In your name, amen. All right, guys. So tonight, going to be discussing this idea of living a Maranatha life. And the term Maranatha, if you're not familiar with it, um, is an Aramaic word that essentially means the Lord is coming, um, or, or a cry, more of a cry, come, Lord Jesus. That's really what it means. And I felt tonight that he wanted to give us fresh revelation of how we should live in light of the second coming, in light of Jesus coming again, in light of the fact that we've been promised, um, again, for, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, that this life is just 
a vapor and it's a quick little dot on a spectrum of us being um, alive and, and with God for the rest of eternity. And if, if that's where I'm headed and if this really is just a vapor and just a blip, that I, then I want to know as much as possible about where I'm going and how to prepare for it. And so tonight, really, the, the message is, right, the, the Maranatha life, how to live a life that really does say, come, Lord Jesus. And back in the early church, um, the, the Jewish people were under intense persecution, specifically right after Jesus rose again and, and ascended into heaven. And there was Rome around them, and there was a lot of persecution. And fellow believers um, would greet one another literally by saying, Maranatha. Um, because of the life that they were living and the stands that they were having to make in boldness and in strength and in courage for Jesus, um, it, it honestly it replaced shalom, which was just peace. It, they, they started to say to each other, Maranatha, um, because there, there had to be a constant reminder for them that the Lord was coming and that they needed to be encouraged in that way. And they lived in such a way that demanded a continual reminder that Jesus would one day come. And my fear is that for us who are currently living in a society that's saturated with opportunities for comfort and convenience and avoidance of suffering and pain, that we would lose touch um, with needing that reminder that Jesus is coming, that we, that we would live a life that doesn't really, doesn't really need that type of um, grounding or that type of reminding. And that's a scary, I think that's a scary place to be. And so the question I want us all to wrestle with tonight is if Jesus came tomorrow, would it be more like a wedding day or an interruption for you? Wow. Would, it be, would it be more, would it be a, a continuation um, and a, uh, a uh, just a, a really meeting and a completion and a finalizing of this love affair that you've had with him? Um, just continuing on or would it seem like a halt and kind of like a stop and like a hard turn right um, if he came, if he came tomorrow? And so, you know, is my life really built on um, this idea that I'm, I'm going to be with him or am I preoccupied with other things? Um, and so I think before we dive into the passage, um, I just wanted to reflect again. I think I've said this a lot um, in the different sermons that I've given on Sunday nights, but I'm going to continue to say it because I think my heart needs to grab it more, and I think if we do it again, it would just really do something inside of us. One of the greatest benefits of having the life of Jesus to look at and to study and to glean from is that He, being fully God, but also fully man, is the only example we have of someone who experienced the fullness of heaven and eternity in the kingdom. He was completely in touch with the glory of what is to come, and then yet he lived out a life on the earth. Meaning that there are no better actions or teachings to adhere to for us who want to live accordingly in light of where we're going. Does that make sense? Like, he... he he experienced the, the glory. He, I mean, he himself is the glory. He, he was a well aware. And then he, being fully human, came down and gave us an example of what it should look like to live in light of that reality, in reality of the kingdom. And so that's why, one of the reasons why the life of Jesus is such a gift to us who are longing to live rightly in that way. Um, just wanted to give this example. Maybe this will help land it a little bit more. In 2001, back in 2001, I was three years old, 2001, um, you could have invested in Apple, in the Apple stock, for $1.50 per share. So back in 2001, um, some of us may be more familiar than others with the stock market. I'm not super familiar, but um, $1.50 per share, right? Really, really cheap. There was a point then 11 years later in 2012 that to invest in Apple, it would have cost over $700 per share. And so this means that if you would have purchased 1,000 shares of Apple stock in 2001, which would have meant you would have invested $1,500 by 1,000 shares, 
that $1,500 in 2012 would have turned into $700,000. So, pretty crazy. And okay, so that information I just shared, if that would have been available to any of us back in 2001, every single one of us probably would have sold as much as possible, liquidated our assets to invest everything we could into the Apple stock, right? I mean, it's like a no-brainer. If we knew it was coming, there's no risk. You're gonna invest there. How much more valuable is it that we have the Son of God come in the flesh and His written word telling us what is coming up ahead and in light of that, how to invest and prioritize properly right now. How much more? I'm just going to say this, and unfortunately, um, it might be more of like a wow, like revelatory thing than it should be, but we have got to know this. Like we, we've got to be so familiar with it. Um, it is such a gift. These are the words of life. Um, the recordings and teachings of God himself, accounts of him walking on this earth. We, this is such a gift. Um, and I just, I, I want to know it. I want to know it so deeply, so badly. And so I just wanted to put a fresh emphasis on like, man, this is right here for all of us. Like there's, there's people in the world who don't have access to the Bible and their mother language and their mother tongue. And we have like 700 different translations and versions of it. Like there is no... No excuse for not knowing it. Okay. Um, I want us to take full advantage of tonight and as we dive into Luke 12. And I think there's really a principle of like preparation feeds the enjoyment of the things to come. Right? Like when, if I'm going on a camping trip or something, if I, if I prepare in light of going on that trip, if I pack my sleeping bag and um, pack a tent and pack a deck of cards, like, that's all going to make that experience more enjoyable. Um, I, I think it's the same with eternity. Like, if we're, if we're taking the things right now, um, and when we get there, um, we're going to have been that much more prepared to see Jesus face to face. So, um, the gospel, the gospel's got to be our compass. Um, it's got to be, right, the eternity has to be our compass. This idea that we have access to God, that we belong to Him, um, that we're, we're going to Him. That's got to be our compass. That's where we're going. That's going to keep us sharp and keep us in alignment in the midst of a world where there's all other opportunities and distractions. Okay. Luke 12, picking up in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples first. So he's speaking to his disciples specifically. Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So this is the first portion of Luke 12, and why we're... As I've studied Luke 12, I really think this is one of the most rich passages when it comes to um, e eternity and, and how, how it should affect our lives today. And so we're just gonna, we're gonna break down the different components and elements of Luke 12. So this is the first one, right? Jesus, he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, beware of leaven, which he identifies as hypocrisy. And specifically, be on guard that it doesn't infiltrate your life. He's talking to his disciples, his close followers. And so, um, because he's talking to his sincere followers, it should be important to any of us who desire to be that. Important to any of us who desire to be his close friends, his close followers. So what is leaven? Just to explain it a little bit more, leaven is another term for yeast. And um, when you're making bread, uh, you take this yeast, and when you introduce it to the bread dough, it infects it. It creates these, these holes that spread throughout the loaf, and it expands the loaf. Um, and leaven commonly is known throughout Scripture as a picture of sin. And sin, um, right, it, once it gets into the human heart, once it gets into that 
that chunk of dough, um, it affects it and it, it puts holes and it pokes holes in who we are in our character. It puffs us up as an individual. It makes us prideful. Um, and so this is, this is the picture that Jesus is saying, what hypocrisy is. He's, he's comparing it to what leaven does. He's comparing what hypocrisy does to the human heart is similar to what yeast and leaven does to a bread, uh, a, a dough. A, I should have had Jeff Ross explain this. <laughs> he makes sourdough. He's a legend. Um, I think there's some other sourdoughers in here. Kylie, maybe, Bree. You, you guys would understand this better. Um, but anyways, this leaven is hypocrisy. So what is hypocrisy? Someone who says one thing but thinks another. And God is sternly opposed to this characteristic because he is concerned with the heart and what is going on internally. So this is the leaven Jesus is warning his disciples about. Hypocrisy concerns itself with the outward or the exterior, not, the genuine, not being the genuine article in and of itself, but just looking like it. Not being concerned with you know, actually having a close and real relationship with God, but as long as, as, long as other people think you do. As long as it looks like it. This is the, the path down hypocrisy. I want us to really lean in here for this. Jesus adamantly addresses this throughout his time on the earth. He knows how tempting it is for us to live for an outward appearance of godliness that is visible to man and yet have an inner life that doesn't really seek to honor him. And if we're going to stay sharp in living a life that honors eternity, we're going to have to constantly analyze ourselves for this. And I think all of us should just be willing to go there with the Lord regularly like David, search my heart, know me, like point out things that are offensive to you. Like, man, if, if Jesus is warning his close followers that this could creep into their life, how much more for me? Like, do I have to be aware of this? I'm going to give us some more context for hypocrisy. I find it fascinating that something Jesus was so evidently opposed to is currently the number one thing causing people to doubt Christianity. Barna put out a study in May of this year, May of 2023, analyzing some of the reasons as to why the U.S. population is being churned off to the church and why American society is quickly becoming known as post-Christian. They put out a survey. What they found is that there's a dichotomy between how people perceive Jesus and his followers in the church. 71% of the American population says that they have a positive perception of Jesus. It's actually kind of surprising to me. 71% of the American population. That's in comparison to only 47% of the American population having a positive perception of the church in their community. Percentages continue to decline for the population having a positive view of pastors and evangelicals and well-known worship bands, and it goes down the list and it gets worse and worse. They then did a case study on what specifically causes people to doubt Christianity. They did it for Christians, for people of other who adhere to other faiths and people who claim that they have no faith. What causes them to doubt? For both people of another faith and people with no faith, the hypocrisy of religious people was the top reason. Further, another study they did gauged how people are likely to describe present-day Christianity. So there was a list of tons of things. Friendly, loving, hateful, all this, all this kind of stuff that they could choose and found that people of no faith are, again, most likely to describe Christians as hypocritical. These studies, these studies show that people are not primarily running away from Christianity and doubting it because of the teachings of Jesus and the Bible being difficult and that they see the church as hateful or they think it's all outdated or out of, uh, out of touch or because human suffering or, or conflict, but rather because of the fact that the message is not lining up with the representation. That the message of Jesus is not being seen or, or felt or experienced in the people who claim to follow him. And so the biggest belief that the lost hold about you and me that needs to be overcome is not that you're hateful or you're anti this or that, that you're just the same as other religions or you're not relevant, it's you're fake. That's, that's the, the biggest hurdle that we've, we've got to jump. And this is a serious issue, and it breaks my heart. 
But I need us to hear this. We have an opportunity to rewrite the narrative. And I really, I mean this. Like, we do not have to continue carrying the responsibility of representing Jesus with flippancy. We can't. We cannot afford it any longer. It has to change. We are his ambassadors. We're living letters that Jesus is writing to the people around us. He's making his appeal through us to be reconciled to God. But unfortunately, the leaven of hypocrisy is clouding the clarity and the power of the one we are representing. The one who is trying to make that appeal through us. And I, I, I hope that something rises inside of our heart right now. I don't think that we should be feeling shame or condemnation or guilt. I want something to rise inside of you to understand that you have the power to be a reformer. I was writing this out yesterday, just feeling the Spirit of God leaping inside of me that He really cares about this. It's breaking His heart that so many people are content claiming the name of Jesus without conforming to His likeness. This is blasphemy at its core. Blasphemy is the act of depriving something of its sacred character. I'm going to touch on this more in a minute, but can you imagine how much this hurts the heart of God? He was so hard on the hypocrites of the day because the idea of focusing on the outward is the exact opposite of who he is in nature. I know this, I know this is like heavy and intense, but I really I want us to just realize, like just realize and, and, and wake up to how, how the world sees us and some of these things that we've really got to deal with if, if we're going to see a right representation of Jesus rise from the church. Because unfortunately, Christianity has often become a label we add to our unsanctified and unsurrendered lives to feel better about ourselves rather than a name for the transformation that has already taken place inside of us. That's what, that's what it was supposed to be. That, we, that it would be a... Um, a description for what has inwardly taken place. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying you need to be perfect before you claim the name of Jesus. In fact, acknowledging your brokenness and lostness is a huge part of this. It's a huge part from Jesus. It's, it's what the Pharisees weren't willing to do. Acknowledge their brokenness and their need for Him. So I think that what we're primarily talking about tonight with hypocrisy is having a real apathy towards inner cultivation, contentedness with sin in your life, no devotion, pursuit, or real love for Jesus, and yet claiming to still follow him. Essentially adhering to a made-up version of what it means to follow Jesus and being proud of it. That we're putting on a show and, and doing enough of the right things to seem legit, yet we're not being honest with God, ourselves, or others. And, and just a quick side note with, with the idea of being proud of it. If our version of following Jesus ever makes us feel better than people who are still sucking sin, I would venture to say that we've dumbed it down to something that we can do in our own strength, that we're not actually adhering to the real commands of Jesus, and that we completely have lost touch with where we stand without Him. It was never meant to be this thing of like, Man, look at me like I don't do this and I don't do that and here's all my opinions. And I just do these certain things to medicate the uncomfortability of my guilt while I still am holding on to control of my life. That's never what it was supposed to be. And I'm not talking about someone who has genuinely humbled themselves before God, yielded to the Holy Spirit's transformation in their life and is passionate about getting out everything that would get in the way of that actually possessing a real hatred for sin and, and brokenness. And man, this is, this is when, when you love the lost and when you flock towards them. It's when you carry this heart because you understand the brokenness of where they are. And because you've acknowledged that you were there and you know the sweetness of repentance and you've tasted the love of Jesus despite your brokenness. Um... D.T. Niles, pastor from the 20th century, said evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And that's so true, and that's got to continue to ring true. If we're going to, um, I think, 
align ourselves with what it really means to have an understanding that I'm a Christian and that I follow Jesus. There can't be any pride involved in that. Do we know that nothing hidden won't be made known? Do we know that heaven's eyes are on us constantly? Man, we've got to be a generation that fights for integrity. That sees no division any longer between public and private me. Right? That, that Jesus says in this passage that all things are going to be uncovered one day. Um, I think it's especially um, pertinent that we dive into this being in a community like this where it can be easy to um, really just kind of check, check more of a box by association with the things that God is doing and the, the great things that he's pouring out and, and what he's doing and, and being, you know, rubbing shoulders with what, what God's pouring out. Like, I think we need to be especially careful um, that we really analyze our hearts and are honest about what's going on inside of here because it's going to be revealed one day. Um, I, when I was writing this, I just was reminded of um, this moment that I had a couple years ago. It was a 6 a.m. prayer set. Um, every heart staff remembers those. Uh, they were gritty, but the Lord met me this one morning specifically, and I just, I was just on the ground um, encountering the Lord, and I got this picture of like me standing before Him one day, and there was like there was nothing to like hold on to. Um, you know that feeling? I don't, maybe the best thing I can describe is like jumping out of a plane with no parachute. It's like there's, no, like there's nothing that you've got to like grab or hold on to. And I felt like he was giving me revelation in that moment of what it is going to be like to stand before him one day apart from Jesus and apart from everything that he is and everything that he's done for you and the, the fact that you put your um, hope of righteousness fully on the finished work of Jesus on the cross that apart from that, standing before him one day is going to be this thing where it's like, man, I've got nothing to grab onto, nothing to hold onto. Those, the, the religious efforts aren't going to be there for you to grab onto and tr- to try to justify why, why you never surrendered your heart fully to him. So take that. Take, take that for yourself and, and constantly analyze your heart, but also towards, towards the lost. Let it fuel um, missions and let it fuel evangelism that there's people who are going to stand before the Lord one day having not placed their hope in, in Jesus and just how frightening that is, honestly. We're going to keep going. Luke 12, 4 through 7. Told you guys some tough passages, but I really, really felt the Lord was on these. So we're going to go for it. Um, Luke 12, 4 through 7. I say to you, my friends, Don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Wild, wild couple verses here. I think what God's getting at in light of the context that we just read um, of, of watch out for hypocrisy and a lack of honesty being in your heart um, is that he's calling us to fear and revere him more than other people. And he's telling us to live from this place of reverence for God and who he is rather than adjusting and changing what we do and what we prioritize because of the opinions of man. And we have to possess this if we're going to live for eternity. I believe he's pointing to the fact that fear is the driving force behind hypocrisy. Ultimately, you're pretending um, you are something you are not because you fear man. You care about their opinion and their perception of you. So you're projecting something different than what is actually going on inside of you. And Jesus is simplifying it here. He's saying, don't live for man's approval. It's going to lead you astray. Don't, don't live for people to have a high view of you and to, to your, your reputation being protected. It will mean nothing when you stand before God who possesses the authority 
right? To, to judge whether you're going to spend eternity with him or not. Don't preserve your life, your reputation, your legacy in the eyes of man because if you fear what they think, you're then therefore going to hedge what you do on gaining their approval and you're going to lose, you're going to lose your life. And so, right in this context, fear of man is not this cute struggle as a, as a Christian. Um, it's an assignment of the enemy to wreck, to wreck the life that you could be living for Jesus. And we have to see it that way. We've got to be willing to endure. Um, and Because and, fear of man comes. And right, people's perception of me and, and, and living for that. God's saying, would you, just, would you simplify it and would you live for me? And what I love is that there's also a simultaneous command here of do not be afraid. Right? He's, he's talking to his disciples. He's making a big claim about the fact that right, you got to fear and, and revere and honor and live for God rather than man who can, who can just harm the human body where God is actually in authority and in control of your entire existence and your entire eternity. But then he supports it in the context of, but you, my disciples who are close to me, don't worry, I, I love you. Um, you're worth more than sparrows, the, the bottom of the barrel. You're worth more... Um, or he's saying, if I care for them, how much more do I care for you, right? He's, he's saying this. And we, we have to come to know and to believe that the love of God, the, the love God has for us. Um, right? Uh, what's the passage? 1 John 4. It's talking about this. It says, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. And so he's, he's saying that, yes, he's making this big claim, and he's making sure we understand the weight of it, but he's also saying, you don't, once, you, once you belong to me, once you've been connected to me, you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that day any longer. I want you to have confidence. I want you to carry confidence of, of your standing in that day because of my love for you. He's saying don't fear men who are ultimately against you. Honor and revere God who is for you, who loves you deeply, who has your best interests in mind. He's comparing and contrasting living for the temporary and living for the eternal. That's what he's doing here. So continuing on, Luke 12, verse 8, we're going to read 8 through 12, says, And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Okay, if you had Facebook 10 years ago, I almost guarantee that you've seen this passage before. <laughs> Um, you know, the, like, there was like a graphic out there for a while of like, you got to repost this now. Like, if you deny me in front of others, I'm going to deny you. I'm shocked I didn't actually fall for that. <laughs> Just that I didn't actually repost that. Um, but he's, talk he's talking about more than that, more than a Facebook post. Um, the, the, the term acknowledge, acknowledgement here, involves more than simply a verbal confession. It involves a witness of both word and deed. This public confession is to be accomplished by a life of obedience to God's commands. The Pharisees were criticized because of their, their inner selves did not correspond with the outer profession. In contrast, believers are challenged to integrate their outer and inner lives. Um, okay, so when you've grown accustomed to living for God when it comes to your inner life 
and the passage that we just kind of made it through, fearing God, honoring God, when, when you've come accustomed to doing that inside of you, that's going to make its way out in front of other people. And you're going to find yourself continuing in that vein, even when you stand in front of other people, which was just kind of unpacked, is going to be the biggest temptation to deviate from acknowledging him and honoring him. It's when you're standing in front of other people and you start caring about their opinions. And so if we cultivate an inner life that desires to please God and to honor him and be integrous through and through, then that's going to transfer over when I'm standing in front of other people. Um, and then I'm going to continue to care about acknowledging him and honoring him and standing for him when I'm in front of others. Um, okay. Are we tracking right now? Yeah. This is, okay. I want to keep going. Um, this is super important. This, this appears to be, this is, this is addressed to an already saved and believing community. The verses that I just read. And um, the, the, the study that I was doing and the study that I gleaned from, from commentaries and things, are most confident about these verses in the context of heavenly reward, not destination. And when he's saying, you know, if you acknowledge me before another, I'll acknowledge you before the Father and before the angels of God. He's talking to believers, like people who are already on their way to an eternity with him. The Bible speaks of storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Um, it talks about living for heavenly reward and, and living for that rather than temporary rewards down here. 1 Corinthians 3 supports this. It says, listen to this, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's talking about people who have already laid a foundation of Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, kind of a contrast with those pairs of three, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Again, everyone has the foundation of Jesus, what they've built upon that. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will still be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Crazy passage. Um, but... He, what I want us to grab, there seems to be two questions hanging in the balance right now for each of us in regards to eternity. One is where you are going to spend it, and two is what is the quality of that eternal experience going to be like? What, what is going to be revealed that you built upon as your foundation of Jesus? I need to be very, very clear here, and also submit to you that I'm just trying to study the Word just like you, I, I don't claim to, to know everything, but I'm just, I'm, I really tried to lean into these passages and study it. So go back to Luke 12 for yourself. But I need to be clear with this. Where you are going to spend eternity is based upon what you do with the finished work of Jesus on the cross on your behalf. And that is the only thing that can take you off of the path of eternal separation and put you on the path of eternal life with Jesus. That is the only, there's only the power to save in the name and the blood of Jesus. That's it. But again, in, in 1 Corinthians 3 and now in 1 Corinthians 9, I want it, it talks about Paul talking, writing to believers. He's saying that there's a race that we're all running. Um, and would you run as one who would obtain the prize? Um, he, he compels us to run for the prize that it says therefore i don't run like someone just running aimlessly um but rather that you might obtain a crown that will last forever he's talking about he's talking to believers and he's compelling them and encouraging them to fight for this eternal reward if there were not benefit to being spiritually wealthy in heaven then jesus would not have told us so many different times how to do so or how to prioritize and value it and I, I, I view these passages oftentimes when it talks about heavenly rewards as like when I stand before Jesus um, and whatever it is, that crown or whatever, whatever the reward is that I want to be able to then offer it back right at his feet. 
that I want to place it at his feet, that he's, he's the only, he's the one who, who is deserving of that. And I think that's right. I think that's good. Um, and, and in that moment, I, I, want, I want to have something to offer him. Um, but also, I'm going to touch on it in just a second, but there's a passage later on in this chapter that honestly offends me a little bit. Um, and it, it talks about Jesus and the, the one who is found faithful um, in that day when he comes ultimately serving, serving you, serving, serving the, the servant. Um, and that, that like offends me and, and doesn't even feel right, regardless of what exactly um, it's going to mean to be rich in heaven. I want to be that. Whatever, however it ultimately plays out, if I'm putting things at Jesus' feet or, you know, whatever's happening, I, if, if I want my life to line up with the words of Jesus, I want to, um, I want to have reward in, in heaven. And so, um, got to keep going here. Uh, verse 10, and again, I hope that, that again, that the aim of tonight is that we would have just fresh like revelation and fresh passion um, to, to live in light of eternity, to, to prepare for that. So that, that's where all of this is coming from. Luke 12, 10, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. The one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Um, okay, so basically, um, I mean, an intense passage, and there's... There oftentimes has been a lot of speculation over what exactly this passage is talking about. I think it makes the most sense that Jesus is saying, you know, fine, again, in, in the context of like hypocrisy and a difference between inner and outward, I think what he's saying is fine, you know, he's talking to the people today, you can reject me right now, like you can, you can deny that, that I'm the Messiah um, and, and there'll be a chance, you're, you're still going to have a chance of forgiveness, but if you reject the ministry of the one who is to come, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to regenerate you and make you born again, then there is no way for forgiveness. And there's, there's, a, there's a warning in here with this, right? That, that you can speak a word against Jesus, but then eventually submit to the Spirit's work in your life. But until you submit to the Spirit's work in your life, it doesn't ultimately matter what you're saying um, in regards, it doesn't ultimately matter with your standing before the Lord what you're saying if you haven't submitted to the Spirit's transformation and inner working in your life. And so, again, he's, he's calling out this temptation to live double-mindedly and um, divided within us. He's saying, man, the, the Holy, you need the Holy Spirit's work really inside of you to regenerate you and make you born again. Okay. And so, in regards to, right, he's saying, um, he, he gives us another, like, punch of his love here when he's talking about you're gonna, there's going to be a day and he's speaking prophetically where you're going to stand before people because of your stand for me. You're going to stand in the synagogues and he says, don't worry. Don't worry in that day because the Holy Spirit is going to speak on your behalf. Holy Spirit is going to give you words to speak. And so again, he's supporting this intense statement of like, acknowledge me so that, and that I'll acknowledge you. He's supporting that with um, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to give you the strength to do that. Like my Holy Spirit's going to be inside of you and you don't, you don't have to be overly concerned about that moment and if you're going to have enough strength to stand for me, if you would lean into the Holy Spirit and lean into His power and Him giving you the ability to stand. And I, yeah. And I, I don't think that that should ever feed into like, well then I don't have to know the word at all or like I can I can just be lazy like towards the things of God um, and the word no like you can't um, you, you aren't able to recall what you've never read like there's still a component of I, I want to be I want to be ready for those moments but he's saying the Holy Spirit will come and comfort you okay we're gonna keep going we're getting through um, Luke 12 13 
Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this interruption of this whole dialogue that's happening. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so this, this dialogue about these, these weighty topics of eternity and living for eternity is interrupted. And it's kind of funny, literally interrupted by this guy who's like, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And it's funny, but I also believe it, it played out this way that Jesus was talking and dialoguing about things that actually matter, about standing before God one day and being prepared for that. And there's an interjection in it of, man, I'm concerned about this world and what's happening and possessions that I can accumulate and obtain. I think it's interesting that this interruption happens. And it's because there's a warning to us of being overly concerned with the temporary and the right here and the right now and how it has its ability to take our gaze off of eternity and put it on these things that are right before us. I'm going to read 20 and 21 again. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Part of the message that I really felt in the urgency and the compelling of the Holy Spirit tonight for us was that we don't know when that day is coming for us. We don't know when we're, when we're going to be confronted with eternity face to face when we're going to be standing before Him. We don't know. And, and honestly, like this last year, the Lord has told me to specifically not do certain things. Um, just like they're not like necessarily bad or, or good, just to, to cut those out um, because it's, just, it's taking my focus off of eternity and, and living for Him. And I think that right, there's, there's room for, for some of this stuff um, in our lives. But also, I don't want to stand up here and excuse this excessive material consumption of, of things and entertainment. If it's distracting you, you should cut it out. And, and tell it to come back when it knows its rightful place again. But we need to be willing to, to cut things out. We need to be willing to get certain things out of our life, with it, whether it be for a season or whatever it looks like in in light of focusing and making sure we're aligned with what really matters. There's a, a call here to stop filling your life and exerting your energy to obtain things that hold zero eternal relevance. Okay, and I promise we're almost done here. Um, and then we're going to respond. So we've, we're talking about um, Jesus is warning his disciples here of of getting caught up in hypocrisy and projecting something that's not actually going on inside of your heart. He's, he's warning them against living for the opinion of man and the approval of man and getting their acceptance and applause. Um, and he's, he's beginning to now hit on this idea that um, being obsessed with the world and worldly possessions, those three things are toxic to us preparing well for eternity. And so just to kind of hammer this home, verse, verse, picking up in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap, yet they, or they don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? 
Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These are unbelievable statements from Jesus here. And he's saying, I want you to have the freedom to be able to focus on eternity and focus on the things that really matter. Let me be the one who, who worries about these day-to-day concerns and these trivial things. Jesus knows that our attention cannot be everywhere. That we can't focus and be concerned and preoccupied with all kinds of things. That we have a limited capacity. So he's saying, I'm inviting you to consider that you don't have to worry about these things that so often plague us with anxiety and stress. And that you can trust me with these things. I'm your father. I care for you. I know your needs. I know the things that you need. You don't have to get caught up in this rat race of trying to, trying to accumulate more things and make sure that I'm looking out for myself because you have a heavenly father who wants to do that job for you so you can actually walk in the freedom of focusing on the things that matter. That's, that's I think, the crux of what he's getting at here. And he's, he's saying, again, kind of going back to like that, that Apple analogy of like, man, if, if we would have known, right, like we would have invested there. He's saying, while you still can, don't worry about all of these things. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover you. You can, you can focus on what really matters. You can invest in other people. You don't have to be self-centric and self-focused. I'm going to take care of you. He's saying that, right, the in all of these passages, he's saying what really matters is not you and, and the things that you need um, and you're looking out for that. It's actually an outward-focused life. And, and that's where um, your investment should be. It's on the things that are going to last, right? People are going to last for all of eternity. And so I'm, I can be freed up if I would accept the invitation of Jesus. And I just wonder how much of our anxiety and day-to-day stress um, is connected to just looking, looking at ourselves and just like wondering how, how's this going to work out and I need to make all this happen. And he's just, he's, he's, there's an invitation to be freed from that. The band can come back up, but I wanted to read a little bit more. So now I'm, I'm just going to go a little bit further, 35 through 40, and then we're going to pause here. Um, Jesus is now talking and he's talking about his return, which is the theme of tonight here. And he says, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready This is what I was talking about, offended me. Truly I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. In other words, it'll be good for those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What do you want Jesus to find you doing when, he's, when he comes knocking at the door? And would we allow this to, to vegetate purity inside of our hearts? That he could come at any moment, that I could, that eternity, I could be confronted with eternity at any moment, that I want to be living and walking in purity before him that I want my inner life and my outward life to be in alignment, that I want to be living actually 
in light of, of revering him and not the opinions of man, I'm going to just really quick go back to that, again, the fear of man thing. Like, if we, if we don't kill this thing, we are going to be killed by it. Like, we have to be serious about getting this out of our life. And I'm telling you to, to push past. Like, there's so many moments. Literally this Thursday, I'm, I'm, driving, I'm driving home from pr prayer. I'm all charged up. I feel like the Lord says, go preach, go share the gospel with somebody at Family Fair. I'm in there. And I, I just don't, I don't do it. And so <clears throat> I, get, I get the stuff I needed. I'm driving home. Lord presents me with another opportunity. I'm driving home, and there's a crowd of people standing outside of a bar near my house. He's like, hey, I, I, want, you to go, I want you to go talk to one of them. And fear of man plaguing me. And I just I keep, I keep going. I drive home. I'm sitting in the driveway. And I'm like, no. Like, I cannot, I cannot just lay down to this fear of man. And so I pull out. I literally go to that bar, guys, I'm just being 100% honest with you. I go there, I scope it out, I sit in my car, and I don't do it. And I drive back to my house because I'm scared of whatever, what's, what's going to happen, what people are going to think. Drive back to my house, I'm literally about to pull back into my driveway, and I feel the Holy Spirit say, it's not a good idea to get in a habit of saying no to the one who created you. And to say, to say no to the one who put breath in your lungs and, and created the whole world. And so that hit my heart, and I'm like, I'm going back, and I'm opening my mouth, and I'm not coming back until I do so. And so, and I go, and again, I'm, I'm like, I'm still, I'm still in this spot. I'm like, man, what do I do? I know what to do, but I'm like, just wrestling internally. And I'm like, Finally, I'm, I'm on the sidewalk and I'm getting ready to walk towards him. I'm just like, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. Just, just desperate for him, for his perspective, for his power. And it was awesome. I rounded the corner. Um, there was nobody there right at that moment. So I was like, okay. Like, um, Could have just dipped out. But no, there was a guy and he walked out of the door and I end up, having a, a conversation with this guy, share the gospel, um, and it was, a, it was an awesome interaction. And this dude had seeds planted and wasn't ready to accept the gospel right there, but he, I, I told him, if the stuff that you're trying isn't working for you, consider Jesus, please. I know he's going to get to that point. And he, he said he would, and he said he would. And so, but I'm just, I say that to um, say that we have to be serious about wrestling with this thing. And not just laying it down. And this, this was one more thing that I really felt like the Lord wanted to highlight. Was that it is so easy for us to say no and to walk in disobedience and then just distract ourselves from what that really is doing to our hearts. Like, it, it's so easy. Like, I could have I could just walked in, got on my phone, started laughing about something that I saw, texted some friends, like, and then totally forgot about the fact that I just told God no. And... It's just so, it's so easy to get in that spot, but we have to be serious about getting this out of our lives. Okay. Final thing that we're going to worship, verse 48, from everyone, this is, this is skipping ahead, and this is just specifically for this community, what I felt like God was saying to us. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. It's, it's a bit um, humbling and scary to read a passage like that in light of the fact that we live in America and we, we have access to so many things. To, we've been entrusted with so much, so much revelation and teaching and worship and opportunities to gather and be with fellow believers. We've been entrusted with so much. What are we going to do with it? And I, I specifically for this community, I just felt like he was saying, like, man, what you you will be responsible for, for the things that you've been exposed to. So what what do you want to do with it? And like I said at the top of the message, we don't know when he's coming, we don't know when our life's going to end, but I'm begging us to prepare for that day. And so I just want us to stand. And the the three things that I just want us to reflect on in light of the fact that we're going to be with Jesus is that the, the hypocrisy, the, it'll be revealed. 
and I don't want to be faking um, what's going on, really going on inside of me. The fear of man, right? Living to please people over God and being overly concerned with the here and the now, the possessions and any, any form of either greed or worry. What would we do differently? What would you resolve in your heart to allow him to do tonight if you knew he was coming back tomorrow? If you knew that you'd be faced with eternity?